0: Today in the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, GSA's customer experience push will make buying better for agencies and vendors.
1: I think there's an opportunity for all kinds of vendors there to participate in that vehicle and move that forward.
0: New hiring authorities won't lower the quality of new hires.
2: It's important to recognize what direct hiring authority is and what it isn't. And I think it gets some criticism because people think you can go out and hire your brother-in-law. That is not at all the case.
0: And the Navy cyber evolution is underway.
3: This will not be easy. It will not happen next quarter. It may not even happen in full next year. It will be a long process, but we're going to put the pieces in place as we start to evolve ourselves.
0: It's Thursday, April 21st, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Defense Department's getting better at buying artificial intelligence tools, according to the leader of the Joint AI Center. Lieutenant General Michael Groen, the director of the Jake, says the unit's pulling together different contract vehicles and improving data sharing practices with industry. Groen says the Jake will move from using Army Contracting Command to let contracts to being able to do them on its own. The Biden administration's customer experience goals go farther than, quote, just fancy new apps and websites. The federal customer experience lead at the Office of Management and Budget, Amira Boland, says Discovery Sprints to learn more about how those interactions work for citizens will start this summer. Those sprints will help OMB create a list of what Boland calls priority pain points to address. You can read more about these headlines and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. The General Services Administration is prepping its spring release for the federal marketplace. GSA says it's based the release around human-centered design. Roger Waldron's president of the Coalition for Government Procurement. Roger, welcome. It's great to see you again. Thanks for coming back on the program. What's the federal marketplace mean both for the people who will use it, the government customers and the vendors that are trying to sell stuff through it? Welcome.
1: Well, first of all, uh, thank you, Francis, for inviting me back on the show. Um, you know, this is a very timely effort on GSA's part, um, focusing on, on streamlining, improving the customer experience across the board for buyers. Um, and it just doubles down on GSA's role as a, as a, frankly, as a marketplace, a market maker in terms of bringing uh, customer agencies together with uh, industry partners to conduct business on behalf of the American people. I'm excited to see the release moving forward, uh, but GSA is focusing on some. You know, fundamentally, it's it's focusing in the, on the right places in terms of you know first it consolidated the schedules contracts to try to create greater uh, uniformity across the program as well as you know making it easier for both contractors to get a contract and manage their contracts as well as agencies to buy off those contracts and then now they're taking the next step. Um, with regard to their systems and you know, just how people transact business through electronic means and other means, so it's a, it's a, I'm excited to see this step forward, and GSA is you know, making some positive uh, moves in the right direction. I mean, and I think it also creates a foundation for you know other areas where GSA could focus on addressing customer experiences.
0: Uh, what would you like to see next as far as CX goes, Roger?
1: So I, I think that I, I, an area where GSA, I think can focus and pivot and focus as it, as, you know, consolidated contracts is working on a systems and that's, you know, supporting the contracting workforce at GSA and just asking questions, do they have the right training in place for the contracting officers? You know, how can they, you know, enhance the consistency among the, amongst the workforce what are the right performance measures for the acquisition workforce in processing, managing, and engaging with their industry partners and their customer agencies? And also, just structurally, what makes good sense in terms of trying to enhance? The you know implementation of policy consistently across the program. I think those are areas where there's clear opportunities for GSA to to further improve the customer experience, especially for industry partners uh, dealing with the schedules program. And an example of that is the economic price adjustment issue with regard to inflation and the pressure on industry partners. GSA is moving in the right direction in that in that regard and. Today, for example, they're having a, an industry day, so to speak, for MAS contractors where they're gonna talk about some of the streamlining that GSA has done to try to address you know, the inflationary challenge that industry partners face in the current environment.
0: There's so much going on at the Federal Acquisition yeah. Service too. I mean, that was what struck me when I saw this was, yeah, the the, the issue with the federal marketplace is interesting but there's about 8 billion things going on at fast right now it seems like roger
1: right well there's um, the next generation of the e-commerce um, you know contract pilot vehicle what that going to be look like they've just put an rfi out for that they've got the polaris procurement going uh, or you know in stasis right now with the bid protest as they look at how to handle those they're going to start working on the next generation of Alliant and what that should look like they're working on the next generation Oasis. They're um, adre- trying to address the EPA issue and inflation for scheduled contractors. At the same time, they're, try- they're trying to modernize their systems and you know improve the buyer experience and the industry experience and, and how they engage across. So they- there is a lot going on there, and what- but it's a $60, 70 billion dollar you know enterprise, and there's always going to be a lot going on, and you know. Um, I mean, and clearly, GSA is, is 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 taking steps to try to address each of these things, and I think one area that that they definitely need to start focusing on a bit more in this next g- iteration is the workforce, and especially the MAS acquisition workforce.
0: All right, I want to come back to that, but you mentioned Polaris, and that's like the magic word on the old game show, you know, where the thing pops down and it t- turns into a i i at the risk of sounding like a spin doctor for gsa it seems to me that Pol- a lot of people are griping about polaris and i understand it i get it from the vendor community but doesn't gsa maybe deserve a little bit of credit for the fact that when that protest was filed they put a pause on it and said okay wait a minute maybe there's a legitimate case here and we need to rethink this is that do, well, do they maybe That's- get a little bit of a gold star for that
1: yeah, absolutely. That's the way it should work and yeah. that's like, you know, that's, you know, sound management when you, you know, if somebody comes up with an issue that you need to say, "Hey, wait a second, we have to take a step back and look at it." Um, you know, that's perfectly appropriate and it's part of the business that 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 we have chosen, government yeah. procurement. So, um, yeah, GSA is right to take a look at it and, you know, I, you know, and I I don't think they should be criticized at all for that.
0: What do you think of all of that mix that you just laid out there of all those things that are going on there what are the pieces how do you expect the timeline to look is there any do can we get any sense of what should happen in what order or or what should happen in what priority or any of that because I imagine there are some people there Sonny's got to just be working his tail off and Laura Stanton too I mean they're just cranking it at this point
1: right so you know um just from a procurement perspective, you know, so Polaris is ongoing. I think the next in the big, big contract vehicles, um, the follow on for Oasis is, you know, sort of next to be teed up and, and, and move forward, you know, because that contract vehicle, I think the contract term ends 2024 or so. So they've got to you know start moving on that one. That will be next. And Alliant, Alliant two has been hugely successful, a great program. And, you know, they're, you know, you know, and I know they're watching the ceiling and making sure they're managing to that contract ceiling. But they've, you know, they've acknowledged that they've got to start planning for that. So that'd be the next one, it seems to me, while they're doing EPA uh, clauses, and we haven't even talked about some of the other things that you know GSA is asked to do. Whether it's you know implement, implementing new cybersecurity requirements, there'll be sustainability requirements and/or reporting potentially in government contracts moving forward. That those things have to be implemented. Um, you know, and, and with regard to e commerce, again, that too, that pilot, I think there's a year and a half left in the pilot contract, so they're g- going to be moving out pretty quickly to try to, you know, expand that program and move that forward. And that, that program has sort of been moved to a different office outside of the IT category. So, from an industry perspective, we'd like to see it expanded actually in the next iteration. As I mentioned, there's 18 months left in the contract and they're looking at the acquisition strategy for the future one. And I think there's opportunity there. I think they need to expand that vehicle. Actually, um, I think in that through expansion and bringing in more vendors, uh, the the program, I think will get greater traction amongst buyers. Again, this is about you know, the customer experience and bringing together buyers and sellers. So I think there's an opportunity for all kinds of vendors there to participate in that vehicle and move that forward.
0: A lot going on at GSA. appreciate you helping me understand it today, Roger. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Francis. I appreciate it.
0: You can read more about all the activity at the Federal Acquisition Service in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of The Daily Scoop podcast. IT leaders from CISA and HHS headline the Government Innovation Strategy and Technology Conference happening May 19th at the International Spy Museum in downtown D.C. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. All federal agencies would get hiring authorities and flexibility some agencies have now under a new bill in the Senate. It's the latest effort to address the hiring issues the federal government has. Dan Sitterly is president and CEO of Sitterly Alliance Solutions. He's former principal deputy assistant secretary of the Air Force for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. Dan, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. I look at this bill from Senators Mike Braun and James Lankford, and I see important issues I see a lot of things that the government has tried to address and legislation has tried to address before. What's new here in your view and what's important for agencies to help them? Welcome, Dan.
2: Well, thank you, Francis. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. And before I talk about that specific legislation, I think it's important to understand the federal personnel system a little bit about it. It certainly is one of the most complex, uh, some people would even call it dysfunctional, personnel systems in the world, everything from the hiring authorities, which are addressed in this bill to performance management, pay, compensation, all the way through retirement is incredibly complex. Title 5, 10, 32, 37, hybrid, lots of other legal authorities. You know, I've been known to say from time to time that a personnelist in the federal government these days needs to go to law school to understand all of the various authorities out there. And so a while back, the senators asked me at a hearing uh, what I would do to simplify it. And I frankly told them I'd throw it all out and start over again. (laughs) Uh, And obviously we can't do that. Um, These various authorities that make it so complex have been added over many, many years. And most were written for good reasons at the time that they were uh, entered into law. And so we have to understand what is important still today how to apply them today and also into the future for the federal workforce and you know perhaps even more importantly Francis we need to remember we have an extremely talented workforce in the federal government today some of the best and brightest minds in America so despite the bureaucracy of the personnel system we are recruiting and retaining in all of our federal agencies great Americans so i think we just can do it a little bit better than what we have been doing and so what do we do? Well, I think we need to collectively partner with OPM, uh, Agency Chico's, Congress advocacy groups, like the Partnership for Public Service, uh, to amplify the authorities, to figure out what is not working, what is working, and to sunset some of the authorities. And if we haven't had the opportunity to read the Congressional and the President's National Commission on Military, National, and Public uh, Service, the report, uh, I think it's been out about a year now. I highly encourage everybody to do that, or at least to read the executive summary. Uh, the whole report is a couple hundred pages uh, and it's called Inspired to Serve. And it was prepared by experts in the field of federal government. Uh, and after numerous public meetings, hearings, interviews, statements, consults, public comments across America, uh, it's a great bipartisan collaboration of so findings and recommendations. And so now let me get to your question. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's okay. No, that's okay because I'm glad you pointed out the National Commission. I want to come back to that. But please, what do you think, what do you see in this bill that will be something that agencies don't have now or that will be better than what they have now?
2: Yeah, great question. Uh, this is exactly why I like this co-sponsored legislation, bipartisan Uh, the Inspired to Service Hiring and Improvement Act, is because it takes directly from a well-coordinated list of recommendations from the commission and it improves on a few things that are working well and it doesn't add additional complexities. And so the three major components of it uh, is the flexibility for temporary and term appointments. Uh, Pretty simple one, Uh, the agencies already use it all of the time Uh, It simply gives a temporary appointment to be extended uh, up to a maximum of three total years of service. Uh, It also, and this is one of the key attributes that I like, uh, is it gives new direct hire authority to agencies. And not only does it extend what has been granted to the Veterans Affairs uh, Department, Uh, in the direct hire authority, in the event of severe shortage of highly qualified candidates. Uh, But it also uh, uh, continues to allow the severe shortage of candidates across the federal government. And I think it's important to recognize what direct hiring authority is and what it isn't. And I think it gets some criticism because people think you can go out and hire your brother-in-law. That is not at all the case. The direct hiring authority, you still have to give public notice uh, of the intent to hire, uh, it allows you to eliminate some of the competitive ratings that go on. It allows you to uh, to do away with the what we call the the three uh, rule of three, uh, and it still uh, has servants, uh, public servants serving a probationary period, and so it simply allows you to get access when you have a shortage of highly qualified people or a shortage of of candidates in some career fields. And it's well managed by the Office of Personnel Management. It's well managed by managers. Uh, and I think it's something that the VA used extensively. We were able to hire 40,000 nurses during the pandemic using this authority. So I think it will serve uh, service very well. And then lastly, it also allows us to expedite hiring authority for recent college graduates and post-secondary students. Uh, That too is important as we refresh the workforce, and I don't think it's a secret to any of our listeners uh, that we have twice as many people serving in the federal government over the age of 60 that we have under the age of 30. And so this is an important uh, legislation, an important authority, which we already have, but it allows the agencies to go from 15% to 25% of the total number of individuals hired by that agency in the previous year. Which is important because, uh, because of budget, um, you know, complications, uh, continuing resolutions, and those sorts of things, you know, we kind of our hiring kind of goes up and down depending on where budgets are. And so that additional twenty-five percent will allow us to refresh the workforce uh, with a young workforce. So I'm I'm very excited about this legislation.
0: Dan, is there an official definition policy-wise of severe shortage of highly qualified candidates? Is there a way to measure that objectively or is it in the eye of the beholder?
2: No, it's very, very objective. And so there's criteria that OPM publishes to the agencies and the chief human capital officers follow it. Uh, You go in, you show retention patterns for a particular uh, occupational series. You show uh, what the market is. There's a very, very specified Uh, sort of criterion that, that the agencies have to use to get there. And then it's published. The list is frankly published on what you can and can't use.
0: I sympathize with your sentiment that the best thing to do would be to throw it all out and start over again. And you're not the only person in Washington that suggested that in the years that I've been following this issue. But short of that, is this the kind of incremental gain broadly that the federal government community can hope to see moving forward, given that I think everybody agrees we probably should throw it out and start over again and that's probably where the agreement ends isn't it dan
2: I, I hope so i i mean it is complex but we have to remember that we also want to make it as most fair and equitable uh, for everybody that wants to work to for the federal government as we can and so sometimes when you put different hiring authorities i think we're somewhere over a hundred different hiring authorities out there uh, they all served a purpose, and I and I think um, incrementally, if you go and look at the commission's report, there's some really, really great recommendations, not only for public service and civilians, but also for military, uh, in, in other types of public service, uh, local governments, for instance. And so, I think if you can dissect that report. Uh, again, it was analyzed by a lot of folks across the federal government from a lot of different agencies and scrutinized with what the complexities are and how to make them easier. And so I I do think that Congress needs to continue to work with the agencies, um, with with other partners to look at each of these. um, And then let's sunset some of the, maybe you can't throw it all away, Uh, But maybe we find that there are ones that we don't use anymore that just simply make the federal registry that much more difficult to understand and personnel's difficult to understand, combine some of them, uh, sunset some of them, uh, and then modernize others.
0: Dan Sitterly, terrific insight. Thanks very much for joining me. It's great to have you on the program.
2: Thank you, Francis. Always a pleasure to talk about advocating for the federal workforce.
0: You can read more about the new hiring legislation in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows. And if you really like the show, leave us a 5-star rating and a review. It will help more people find The Daily Scoop Podcast. The Department of the Navy is on a cybersecurity evolution. The Chief Information Officer of the Navy, Aaron Weiss, was a guest at the Cloudera Government Forum 2022 on Tuesday. In this highlight of his presentation, Weiss says the Navy's taking a different approach to cybersecurity.
3: We believe that rather than compliance, a better model for cybersecurity is something that's close to the military. It is a model rooted in readiness. And when I talk about readiness, I'm not saying it's fleet readiness and this fits into that, but I'm saying it's a model inspired by how we approach readiness. Readiness is something that is a dynamic model. As a commanding officer, you would exist every day on some continuum of readiness. It's measured very holistically. There are all kinds of acronyms that we would use to describe that. Uh, There's Pistoni and others, but at the end of the day, it's about, do we have the right people? Are they trained? Are they qualified for on the equipment and the mission? Do we have the right equipment? Is the equipment dispatchable? Do we have the right supply chain in place? Are we gonna be able to get material and, and additional reinforcements to support the mission? It's a holistic model, and that model is a much better view for how we ought to approach cybersecurity. And, and it's not a one and done. A CEO does not say, I have now achieved readiness done and i'm good for three years that that concept of one and done has to go away i'll use an example uh i am a pilot and i'm a pilot because a long time ago i demonstrated a minimum level of competency behind the controls of an aircraft to an faa designated pilot examiner and at the end of that flight He wrote it up and said, well, you have a pilot's license. And they gave me one, oddly. Um, And if you look at that license in my wallet, it, it never expires. It has no expiration date. It's good until I die or they take it away from me. But in order to exercise the privileges of that certificate, I have to do things. I have a responsibility to do things. And in the aviation world, it's called currency. I have to maintain currency. And that's a holistic view. There's a physical aspect. I have to go see a flight doc who will certify me and give me a a third class medical or a second class medical. Uh, I have training requirements. There are flight review requirements on regular basis. There are operational requirements. I have to perform X amount of operations or X number of instrument approaches to minimums within a certain period to continue to do these things. It's my job to maintain currency. If I fall out of currency, it's my job to get back in currency. But if I'm outside of currency, I may no longer exercise the certificate. We want to bring that idea of currency to this problem of cybersecurity in conjunction with an approach rooted in readiness. And so to do that and and take these ideas, we put together an effort that began last November. It it began uh, with a one-on-one conversation with the CNO, and it is expanded from there. Uh, And we put together a program that we are calling Cyber Ready. And the idea is to have a fundamental impact on how we approach the problem of cybersecurity and how we maintain our state of cyber ready and apply models of currency so that we're not just getting an ATO once, but you're continuing to earn and re-earn your ATO every day through this idea of currency. So we put together, we, we, we had a, a little, informal workshop and we put together uh, a list and and, and I challenged the team to put together a list of all the things that we need to do that are going to make people uncomfortable. Because this is a a paradigm shift and there will be a lot of people who are uncomfortable with this. And so there are sort of seven key themes here, which started out as things that people will be uncomfortable with or that will challenge our way of thinking. And those have evolved pretty much into a set of LOEs that it will take to get at this. But you know, across the board, and you'll see the tie-ins with, uh, with this idea of always earning and re-earning, and this holistic view that's rooted in readiness, we're going to have to figure out how to measure ourselves with a wider aperture than CVEs and patches. This is not a compliance problem. We are this is not about counting CVEs and patches. That's part of it. That's part of it, but it's not the whole picture. We're going to have to focus on what matters. The Navy has done amazing work at thinking about RMF reform. And they've gotten that hundreds of lines of RMF down to a few dozen controls that at the end of the day really matter, right? They all matter, but some just matter more. And so what can we do to hone in on those to allow programs to quickly attain capability in a non-geological time frame that allows them to be meaningful uh, and then allow them to continue to expand their ATO and enter that realm of cyber currency? And then the third element is defining cyber currency. So much like that aviation example I gave, what are the things that a program has to go through to continue to earn and re-earn their ATO? The fourth is sort of the the trust but verify element. Uh, And it is this idea that we want to test ourselves all the time. Uh, We do have red teams, and they're very expensive. They're very resource intensive. These are some of the best and brightest cyber warriors who will go out and attack ourselves and test us. It's a great exercise, but we can't do it across the board. We want to come up with automated ways to apply that almost sort of a purple team, automated, that can be exercising us all the time and that will feed into our currency model. Um, We want to make the information that we glean on our state of cyber ready widely available so that everyone can use it when they think about their actual state of readiness, so that a commander can use that to think about, are we ready? Is my strike group ready? Is my expeditionary unit ready? Importantly, we're going to have have to adjust how we think about the acquisition roles and accountability. We are going to have to move towards a mode where we are collaborating with the operator and the defender and the program office together versus this sort of linear throw it over the fence mode that we've had in the past. And so we're gonna actively have to rework how we think about the makeup of the teams that bring these capabilities to life. And then the seventh is we're going to have to think about workforce. There are thousands of people who identify themselves as I have this job in the world of RMF or ATO. There are people with RMF and ATO in their job titles. How are we going to to evolve these people, expand their capabilities set into this new area where we have broad apertures rooted in an idea of readiness? That'll be our challenge. And so uh, we're on a path this launched last year uh we are on a first set of sprints a 90-day sprint where we're putting the meat on the bones of this idea and we're also actively working uh, to identify sets of pilots and so we're getting a small number of pilots who are volunteering to go through this uh, and help us learn uh, and it will be a highly iterative approach as we move forward uh importantly Uh, We've got leadership engagement. We've got CNO, Secretary of the Navy, DOD-CIO, we've briefed NSA, uh, and others. And so uh, very broadly engaged with strong sponsorship from ASN, RDA, and the Department of Navy CIO. This will not be easy. It will not happen next quarter. It may not even happen in full next year. It will be a long process, but we're going to put the pieces in place as we start to evolve ourselves uh, into a world where we have programs that are born cyber ready, cyber built into the requirements with actively engaged programs, operators, defenders, moving into a world where we are holistically measuring our state of cybersecurity readiness uh, and in an environment where programs and teams are earning and re-earning their ATO every day. If we do that, one, we'll fundamentally change how we think about the problem of cybersecurity, and two, I would argue we will drive to much improved outcomes, uh, which ought to make the original authors of the Cyber Readiness Review uh, much happier.
0: The Chief Information Officer of the Navy, Aaron Weiss, at the Cloudera Government Forum 2022 on Tuesday. You can find the link to watch the video of his speech and the rest of the program in today's show notes at TheDailyScoopPodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every day and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop Podcast is back tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.